All right, the rest of us, we're going to be in here for, we're continuing the Great Escape, which is our walk through the book of Exodus. We are now in our 26th message, and we are in Exodus 16. Um, Last week, we started out with a great time of celebrations. The children of Israel sang about the victories of God that they'd seen, as as, as well as the promises of those yet to come. Now, we looked at how we as Christians should be proclaiming the same type of gratitude in our lives, but many times we don't because of the distractions that draw us away from God. Um, Like us, the Israelites struggle with trusting God because of the distractions that appear in the wilderness. Um, We know what the wilderness is. Yet in their time of fear and doubt, the Lord not only provided for them, but he also instructed them on how to walk in his blessings. And that was in our message called Keeping His Statutes. This week, um, we'll witness more of God's miraculous provision while we will simultaneously be given a glimpse of His miraculous provision in the distant future as well in our message today, which is titled Manna from Heaven. Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to bring the Word of God. Father, you know that I prayed diligently, and uh, Lord, I've asked you to speak to me. And uh, Lord, now my prayer and my request is you would ask uh, that you would speak through me. Lord, that the words that I share would not be the ones that I would choose, but the very ones that you would give me. Uh, Lord, pray that you help the human element to be removed, and Lord, that we hear from you directly, Father. We love you, and we thank you for who you are. Thank you for the word that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Exodus 16, verse 1 through 18 is where we're going to be today. We're going to pick, we're going to pick up here where actually what's happened is they were at a place of an oasis. They'd come out of the Red Sea. They're now in a place called Elam. They had this time of celebration and kind of restoration, and now they're breaking camp and they're moving forward. Verse 1, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came out unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after departing out of the land of Egypt. Now, we know that they left basically... Um, in the very first month, which is Abib, they left around the, vac- the very same time. So we're about a month out of the Exodus when they initially left Egypt. Historically, the wilderness of sin was just happened to be named sin, but we know prophetically that sin is one of those things that we're going to struggle with when we are in the wilderness. You and I, as Christians, as we get saved, we leave. They, we, as we leave in Exodus, we leave our lost, the lost world. We leave sin behind. We're saved by the deliverance of that picture of Jesus Christ that we see as we move out. Out of this, the out of Egypt, where then Moses is a picture of Christ, and then we move out into the wilderness. And the wilderness is the Christian life. This is what we're going to be dealing with as we walk with the Egyptians. They're walking through this. And what we see here is that the flesh, this dealing with sin, is something that is going to be a struggle that we're going to, as long as you live in this world, it's going to be something you're going to fight with. And in Exodus, or actually in Romans 7, verses 18 through 25, we're going to look at a little excerpt from Paul. He says this, for this, he says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. He says, my will is to do right. He says, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. He said, I want to do right, but I'm having, a time, I'm having a hard time. For the good that I would, I do not. The things that when I should do good, I find myself not doing it. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, what I, that I would not, and it is no more I that do it, that's, but sin that dwelleth in me. He says, look, I have a desire in my heart to do the right thing, but for whatever reason, I find myself struggling in doing the wrong thing. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Even when I try to do what's right, I find this oppression. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. He says, inwardly, I want to do right, man. My heart is to do right. But I see another law in my members, his flesh. Members is your flesh. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. He says, look, I find that my flesh is fighting against my spirit. I'm trying to do the right thing, but my flesh is giving me a hard time. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? 
Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. He said, bottom Bible talk, talks about the fact that the flesh and the spirit, they're in enmity one with the other. There's always a battle that's taking place. And we see him eloquently waxing about his personal struggle, but thankfully he doesn't stop there. Because we go from, verse, from chapter 7, now we go into verse, chapter number 8. 8 verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Yes, we're going to struggle with our flesh. Yes, we're going to struggle with sin in this world. There's always going to be temptations and these things that are trying to draw us away. As James, John, and Peter were trying to sleep or were trying to pray whenever Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did Jesus say to him in Matthew 26, 41? He says, watch and pray that ye enter not in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of us can attest that our flesh is weak? Oh, my goodness gracious. Especially in your, you find you when you're tired. Man, yesterday we were packing that container, and it was a little toasty yesterday. And all of you that were there yesterday, I am so thankful you were there. And we all had, what would you call it, sweat paint? You, you said you had sweat paint on? We were talking about our shirts had all turned different colors because we had sweat paint on, the kids were saying. And, boy, we had sweat paint on for sure. We were sweaty. But you know what? When, you're, when you get tired, man, I tell you what, you know, your flesh gets, gets tired. Your flesh gets weak. It makes you vulnerable, right, to temptation. It's easy to get frustrated or upset. We look at it and says, you know, I think the Lord took us there for a specific reason because what we're getting ready to read about the Israelites, before we put our robes on as judges, when we're getting ready to read this, we all need to be reminded that the Israelites are a picture of us, okay? God shows us this picture and he shows us, he says, these things were recorded that you may learn from them, right? Because you are struggling against the same things. Verse 2. Now, we know they've gone out, right? It says, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Okay? Remember, in 1 Corinthians 10.10, Paul had a warning about this when he was talking about, he was recounting the story of the Israelites. He said in 1 Corinthians 10.10, Neither murmur ye, warning us, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Murmuring, that, that complaining, it's just something that comes within us. How many of new people that complain really well? Especially your kids, right? Oh, my gosh, right? Oh, I'm hot. I'm uncomfortable. I don't like this. I wanted a blue one, right? Right? That's, unfortunately, it's a part of our nature. We look at our kids. Guess what? You see the nature of humanity. Verse 3, and the children of Israel said unto them, would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord. Look at what they just said there. That we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots. Man, we had pots of meat. And when we did eat bread to the full, man, we had all the bread we could possibly want. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Man, amazing. They're talking about how great Egypt was. And it's funny because we think about that and we go, that seems so silly. But how many of us have known people that romanticize, let's say, their, their ex, right? Somebody they used to date years ago. And they're, oh, man, he was so good to me. Oh, he was so sweet. He brought me flowers. You know, he used to always open the door for me. And you know what? I mean, he was just, he was just dreamy. Dreamy. So why aren't y'all together? Well, I mean, he cheated on me a whole bunch and he was a liar, but, you know, right? That's them. That's us. We meet people that do those kind of things and we're like, hello, hello, McFly, right? <laughs> The Israelites are remembering with their bellies. And through the same process many of us employ, they remember the good about Egypt. 
This seems ridiculous, but guess what? When we are led of our flesh, it can become an all-consuming thing that causes us to distort the view of reality, right? When we are in our flesh, we no longer see things as they truly are. It's this selective recall that draws people back to what they fought desperately to escape. Somebody who at one time struggled with drug addiction, right? And in the time, they're desperate to get out of it. Like, just get out of it. I could just get out of it. I could just get out. But you give a little bit of time after they escape that. And boy, they start thinking about the good old days, right? The good old days. Boy, they start remembering the positives of that. And that's the way that's drawn back in. That's how people draw them back to alcohol, back to bad relationships, back to drugs, is because of that selective mindset and that memory. I want you to realize the fact that it's only been three days earlier. They're celebrating God. They're at an oasis. They're all enjoying this wonderful time. They break camp. It's only been three days. And I want you to notice that the word that's used there says hunger. doesn't say they're starving doesn't say they're near death. They got a little belly rumble, right? Oh, I, want to, I got a little bit more food, right? So this frustration that we see here, this little issue has been blown up into something bigger than it is. And guess what? When you're in your flesh, things that are little can guess what they can do? They can get blown up into something a lot bigger, right? Now, you know, it's like, why didn't you close the fridge? I mean, I mean, really, right? My brother and I, when we were kids, I wasn't going to share the story, but I'm going to share it. What the heck? My brother and I, we didn't get along real well. My brother's four and a half years older than me. And for years, he'd picked on me. And well, I'd gone and I'd been lifting weights and lifting weights and lifting weights. And he was away at college. And one day we're in the kitchen. And he brings out and he gets out a bottle of soda and he sets it on the thing. And he gets himself a glass and he sets it down. And, and then I get some and I set it down and I just walked away. He's like, put it away. And I was like, well, you got it out. <laughs> He's like, yeah, but you used it last. And I was like, but I didn't get it out. You got it out. It was out anyway. You got to put it back. And he's like, I'm not putting it back. And I was like, I, and you know, it turned into this huge escalated fight. Next thing we're on the floor wrestling over this bottle of soda. And my mom's on the phone. This gives you an idea of our relationship. She's like this. Would you two stop it? Okay, I'm back. I mean, it's just <laughs> went right back into a conversation. No problem. Right. But it's silly. Something silly like that. Putting the soda top on and putting it away. That's so silly. But these underlying things, when you're in your flesh, guess what? It can turn into something that it was not intended to be. And what we find is they're, they're literally saying, look, you brought us out here to die. And they're literally just hungry. Just hungry. They've forgotten and lost sight of who God was. Has anyone ever experienced that? What do they call the term? Hangry? Yeah. Right? Has anyone ever been hangry before? Yeah, man. Your flesh gets weak. And next thing you know, you fly off. And people are like, what the heck, man? Um, so bottom line is this self-destructive behavior comes when we are in and find ourselves in the flesh. How do we avoid it, right? Galatians 5, 16 says, This I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Turn to walk in the spirit. Try to honor God. Try to walk in a way that's pleasing to him, not pleasing to what you want, and not in your flesh and your desires. But see, there's a purpose to the hunger, and we're going to look at that in a bit. God always has a purpose for everything, and that hunger has a reason. Verse number four, then said the Lord unto, unto Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. The people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. Remember, we talked about in our last message, the fact that this life is a test. This is a test. And when God says, I will prove them, he's saying, I will test them. I will test them. We see God testing the Israelites to see whether or not they're going to walk in the spirit or if they're going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the whole role, right? They were tested at the Red Sea as the Egyptian army came. They were tested. And guess what? They failed. They were tested again at Elam with the bitter waters. And guess what? They failed. And guess what? They're tested again. Those tests have a process of developing an understanding of them, of knowing they can trust God. And you and I are tested every day. Are we going to trust the Lord? Are we going to fall into our flesh? Are we going to follow what our, what, our, what, our, what our will is? Are we going to do what God's will is? And see, that's the struggle that we're in. When you're in the wilderness, which we all are, if you're a born-again child of God, you're in the wilderness. 
And there is a promised land. That's heaven. But there's a journey to get there. And the thing we talked about last week is the fact that problem that the Egyptians, that the Israelites have is their focus is not on the promised land. Their focus is on the wilderness. And they're trying to be satisfied in the midst of the wilderness. And this world will never satisfy. Never satisfy. They're a work in progress, but guess what? So are we. Verse 5. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Okay? So here he's instructing them about honoring and sanctifying the Sabbath. Okay? He's trying to instruct them on how to do that. And he's going to make this more permanent. When we get to chapter number 20, we're going to see God's going to give the Ten Commandments. He's going to make that a commandment. But right now he's just establishing that line of thinking. Verse 6. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, At even then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out from the land of Egypt. Verse 7, And in the morning, then ye shall see the glory of the Lord. For he that heareth your murmurings against the Lord, and what are we that ye murmur against us? Look, God's heard your complaining, and amazingly enough, God's still going to fulfill your needs. Right? At night, you're going to have flesh that's going to show up, and in the morning, you're going to have bread. Okay? It's like Moses is saying to them, Look, you're complaining to the wrong person. Your murmuring and your woes and all the stuff is like, look, you're bringing it to us, but guess what? Your beef isn't with us. Your beef is with God because we're not the ones that are going to make provision. We're not the ones that can do anything to help you. And many times we'll complain to the people around us and we don't turn to God as we should, right? You have a problem with your brother, your sister, guess what? Learn how to pray for your brother and sister instead of trying to take it and say, they're not your enemy, man. There is an enemy, no doubt about it. And he wants to destroy relationships. He's not about unity. He's about division. He's about destruction. He's about pain. He's about loss. He's not about families thriving and growing forward for the cause of Christ. He's about breaking up marriages. Look at the result in our country today. How many people get married? Over 50% of people that are married. And it's even, they, they say, right, the last statistic I heard said it's worse in Christian homes than it is in secular homes. Unbelievably. So there's an enemy that just desperately wants to destroy them. Because what did the Bible say? What God hath put together, let no man put asunder. That means no mankind, no man or woman. So God says, look, this is what I desire. And what happens is people take their will over God's will. Next thing you know, their marriage is done. Verse number eight. And Moses said, Then shall be when the Lord hath shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full. For that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we, ye murmurs? Your, murmuring, your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. The Lord heard your whining for the food, and guess what? Amazingly, guess what? He's going to take care of your needs. At night you will receive the flesh, and in the morning you're going to receive the bread, right? So we look here in verse number 9. It says, And Moses spake in Aaron, and say unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he hath heard your murmurings. Again, we see the men of God reminding the people about their accountability is not to them. Their accountability is to the Lord. He says, Come near before the Lord. Verse 10. And it came to pass as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Remember, there was a pillar of fire by night and it was a cloud by day that led them. So all this time when they've been doubting God, they've been questioning God, they've been murmuring, God's presence has been there. The cloud has literally been there. They see God's presence, yet they're still standing in opposition because they get caught up in their flesh. So as the people gather around the pillar, they see the wilderness, or here in the wilderness, they see the glory of God radiate from it. Verse number 11, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, say, at even you shall eat flesh, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. 
okay? We don't know if this was audibly or not, but we're going to assume that it was not. We don't really know. But God speaks basically through Moses and saying, look, you know what? Hey, he's going to, while they're close in his presence, God's reiterating or talking to them, and he's trying to do two different things. First of all, he's letting them know that, they, that they, when they complain to Moses, they are in reality complaining to him, right? There's four times the murmuring is mentioned up to this point. Four different times they keep talking about hearing the murmuring, hearing the murmuring, hearing the murmuring, right? Secondly, the Lord is reiterating the point that that any and all provision comes from him. God is revealing to the Israelites that their dependence must be him, physically as well as spiritually, learning how to be dependent upon God. And what find we find ourselves is sometimes physically, we want to take on the responsibility for our physicality ourselves. We want to take care of our spiritual growth ourselves. There are people right now that are seeking in the world to find spiritual growth. Well, I'm a spiritual person, and I've got a Dalai Lama, and I've got this, and I've got that, and I've got a Hare Krishna, whatever it is, right? And they're trying to find these ways to fulfill themselves. But the thing is, as humanity, we were designed and created by a creator who created us for a relationship with him. And the spiritual development and our provision has got to come from him. Then we talked about the fact that there was a purpose for the hunger. Deuteronomy 8.3 says this, And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knowest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus basically says this exact thing. Reader, it's part of verse eight, uh, that Deuteronomy 8.3. It says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So the provision is not the bread, it is the word. Verse 13, and it came to pass that even the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And we see the provision of the flesh, and we notice this, that that comes by night, but the bread would come in the morning. The quail was a provision of the world, Okay. Okay? It's a provision of the world. It is flesh. It comes by night. But in the morning, there is bread. And that bread comes from another source. It comes from heaven. It is a picture of something we're going to see in a minute. Verse 14. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. As morning would, would dawn and the sun would rise, the bread would appear on the ground. Malachi 4.2 says something really, really cool. It says, the son of righteousness, right? The son of righteousness shall arise. And when it talks about the son, it's not spelled S-O-N. It's actually spelled S, capital S-U-N. The son of righteousness, referencing the morning. Verse 15, and when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, it is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, this is the bread which the Lord hath given to you. Now the word manna, guess what it translates as? What is it? That's what it says. We're going to call it manna. We don't know what it is. We're just going to call it what is it. That's what manna actually means, okay? So let's look at what the Bible tells us. We don't know what the manna is, but let's look at what the Bible tells us the manna is. John 6, 31 and 32. Jesus speaking to the, to, the, to the Pharisees, okay? They say this, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And they actually talking about Moses gave them bread, is what they're saying. And then verse 32, Jesus says this, Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. Notice the word he adds, the true bread from heaven. In, six, in John 6, 51, a little further down, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Notice that. I came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Verse 58. 
This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. He says that was a temporary bread. That was something to fulfill them physically. But I'm talking about a spiritual bread here, and this one is an eternal bread. Okay? So we see a parallel that Jesus makes of himself in the manna. So historically, it's a wafer, a little wafer that's found on the ground that's there to provide for the Israelites, right? It's there to sustain them, okay? While at the same time, prophetically, it reveals a picture of Jesus Christ himself. He said that he was the true bread from heaven, okay? So Jesus Christ, what's another thing we think of when we think about Christ? There's another name that he's known by. John 1.14 says this, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word. Jesus Christ is known as the manna. He's also known as as, as, the, as the son, but he's also known as the word. He's the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He be, we beheld his glory, the only begotten, as the only begotten of, our son, of, of the father, full of grace and truth. So he's known as the word. So he's the manna, he's Jesus, and he's the word. And they came down from heaven. It was provided to feed the people of God in the wilderness. As you as a Christian are in the wilderness of this world, this is your sustenance. This is your food. Amen. This is your manna. This is where you must be fed. If you're going to survive spiritually in the world that we face, you will not survive. You will starve to death in the wilderness of this world if you are not in the Word. And people go, you know what, man, you know, I just have a hard time reading the Bible. That's just not my thing, man. You know, I don't know. I just, you know, I like to pray, but reading's kind of tough. That's ridiculous. You are literally starving yourself to death spiritually, and you're in a spiritual fight, whether you want to be or not. You don't have the option to turn around and walk away. You don't have the option to go, no, 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 time out, time out, I'm done. Because guess what? The devil doesn't have any mercy. The devil doesn't take a day off. The devil never, ever, ever looks at a weakness in you and goes, you know what? It's been enough. Boys, let's just take a little time off. No. You'll find when you're weak, you get jumped upon. And then you get weaker, and guess what? You get jumped upon again. And you get jumped upon again. And the devil will do all that he can to drive you into the ground. He cannot take your salvation, but he can sure mess up your Christian life. And when he does, he makes you ineffective for the cause of Christ. And the very thing that you're called to do here, which is to bring glory to God, then gets squashed. And instead of your light shining, you put a bushel over it because you've got guilt and shame and all this garbage that Satan's lied to you about. And you take the weight of the world. And the next thing you know, you could have been a Christian. You could be making a difference in someone else's life. And now you are silent. Right? And the devil goes, well done, boys. Well done. And when they start trying to get back in that word, let's knock them down again. Let's make sure they don't find themselves the sustenance that they need. Jeremiah 15, 16 says this, thy words were found and I did eat them. And that word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by the name, O Lord God of hosts. Sweet, man. He says, and I did eat them. I did eat them. He's not talking about the Jewish terminology that's used there doesn't mean that they were eating the scroll. What it means is he was consuming it and making it a part of who he was, right? When I, when we, and Jesus is talking about eating his flesh, when he's talking about it, he's saying, look, consuming, making me a part of who you are so that my light shines out of you, that you're the, 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 the attributes of Christ are part of you, right? It's what it's telling us here. So the man is a picture of Christ, the word he was made. He is to be made a part of us. When we read the word of God, do we read it because we're hungry or do we do it because we're supposed to? Right? If you're hungry, you'll be fed. You ever eat when you're not hungry? Sometimes you're just like, why am I, what am I, I don't even want these chips. Why have I eaten, they're half, that bag's gone. Well, I mean, I'm halfway gone. I may as well just finish them off. I mean, geez. 
You ever do that? You get to the very bottom, and it's like, you know, it's like you know, 20 chips left. You're like, this really, really I just have no point in putting this. That's just not fair to the next person. It'd just be better for them to be gone. I'll just finish them off. I'll just do my job, step up, right? <laughs> it's amazing, but that's the, that's the thing. You know, as we learn uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, do we allow him to become a part of us? You know, does it, does it, do we consume it, or do we take it in one ear, and does it go out the other? You know, a lot of times we're good about reading the Bible and then getting done and going, you know what? I have no idea what I just read. You ever do that? Yeah. Read it and you get done and you're like, okay, what was that? Okay, let me circle back on that, right? Yeah, it happens to us all because guess what? Our mind is not there. If you're hungry, you're focused on the dinner, man. Who's ever been sitting at a restaurant before and you think it's your plate, that your stuff's coming out, you're like, mm, oh, here it comes. Honey, that's our food. It's coming. And then they walk past you and you're like, oh. I really thought that was ours. I mean, that, I asked them, that, that was a burger, and I thought I was going to burn. Man. And then all of a sudden, you're just staring at that door, watching, waiting. Come on, man, come out with the food, right? If we're hungry, man, we're focused. We'll be paying attention. We'll listen, and we'll get something. Do we allow it to change us? 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine means teaching. For reproof, it's supposed to, 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 uh, to, 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 uh, to warn us. For correction, it's supposed to correct us and redirect us. And for instruction in righteousness. How do you live for God? Read the Scriptures. God will show you what to do. Follow what God teaches. You see, God has a purpose for the hunger, and we're all born with a hunger. You're born with a God-shaped void. Every single one of us is. There's people right now that are searching for the meaning in life. They're searching and searching. They're searching for stars, looking for where we came from, spending billions of dollars with all these telescopes, trying to figure out where we came from and why we're here. And God said, look, I created you to bring glory to my name. I created you for a purpose, to walk with me. I created you to know me. Back in the Garden of Eden, man, it says the Bible says that he walked through the cool of the day with God. And that's a pre-incarnate Christ because guess what? God, when he's a human form, it's Jesus. When you go back in Genesis and you read them walking in the cool of the night, guess what? That's Adam walking with Jesus, man. How awesome is that? He created us for that relationship, that purpose, the hunger. Matthew 5, 6 is this. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. In this moment, the Israelites are hungering after right, are not hungering after righteousness, right? They're hungering after their physical, physical needs. God is teaching them an, inval an invaluable lesson. He is to be the source that they must draw from. He is to be their substance, their guide, their protector, and their very hope. And guess what? He's supposed to be the very same thing for us, every one of us. The nature of the Israelites was to complain to man, to Moses and Aaron. But what God kept telling them was that their answers would not be found with men, only with him. Like the Israelites, we spend our time in the wilderness searching for ways to fulfill our hunger, be it a hunger physically, spiritually, or emotionally. We scour the world in search of fulfillment only to end up more hungry than when we started. There are folks out there today that are trying to find fulfillment in this world. And I don't care how successful you become. People reach the pinnacle of success in this world and they are desperate. They become alcoholics. They become uh, addicted to drugs or they'll kill themselves, literally having everything because they're trying to find Kate Spade, right? world-famous designer, had everything, but she had her whole world wrapped up in a man, and when that man walked away, she said, I have no reason to live, and she killed herself. And everyone in the world would think, man, she's got it all. But she was broken, and she was empty because there was a void in her heart that needed to be filled by God, and when it wasn't found, filled by God, she found nothing, found nothing. So very, very sad, but that's the battle that we fight. 
Because you see, this is one of the most precious commodities. Life is a precious commodity. Time, think about the time that's wasted in searching for these things that will do nothing for you. There are some of us, I got saved at 34 years old. I was never raised in church. I never went to church my entire life. I never heard a gospel message. No one presented the gospel to me. Nobody gave me a track. Nobody gave me nothing. And so at 34 years old, the night I heard the gospel, man, I fell on my knees. My wife and I side by side and called out to the Lord, and he saved us right there. And he changed our lives and redirected things dramatically. But 34 years I wasted doing other things, trying to find fulfillment. And, you know, God's been able to use that in my life and be able to, keep, to teach me and, and instruct me. But I think about it, man, I, sometimes I'm like, man, what if I got saved when I was seven or eight or ten? Some of you guys got saved as kids, man. Praise the Lord. Some of you guys got saved later in life. All we can do is focus on the future. I can't change the past. Learn from my mistakes. Focus upon what Paul said. I press towards the mark of the high calling God in Christ Jesus. Leaving the things, the past behind me and pressing towards that mark. I can't change the past. So all we can do is focus upon that. And we've got to be careful because if an enemy is constantly trying to derail us. Colossians 4, 5 says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Take advantage of every moment that God gives you because you don't know how many you'll have. The sooner we realize, the sooner, the sooner we realize this, the sooner we can start living a life of substance and eternal worth. Verse 16. And this is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, an omer for every man according to the number of your persons. Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. An omer, to give you an idea, that's around three pounds. It's about a tenth of a bushel, okay? About a tenth of a bushel in American standard or American measures. So the head of the household was to gather the manna for those in his home and then be in charge of distributing it to them. Hmm. So when we look at that prophetically, guess what? Can we see that the spiritual responsibility of providing the word, the manna, to the family falls upon the man to go out and gather that and then distribute it to his family? As husbands and fathers, are we going to God to receive from him so that we can provide for our families? If we're not, we're dropping the ball. God's got provision for us. The manna's there, man. The manna was given to us in form that we can hold it, we can read it, we can depend upon it. You want answers on how to lead your home, how to, how to deal with adversity, go to the book, man. The instruction manual that we need for this world is right here. The problem is most of us have got our heads somewhere else. We're not focused upon this. We're focused upon TV or video games or, or, or magazines or our phones. And this most valuable tool, this nourishment for our families and for us, slips through our fingers. If we're not going to God, if we're not dependent upon him, how can we really provide for our families what they truly need, which is a relationship with him? The world's concept is that if the bills are paid, then the man's job is done, right? But I'd have you know that God is way more concerned about the spiritual provision of your family Amen. than he is anything else. Amen. He wants them provided for physically and spiritually. 1 Timothy 5.8 says this, but if, any, but if any provide not for his own, and it says, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. God expects us to be the spiritual leaders of our homes, and guess what? He's going to hold us accountable for it. We're to be the pastors of our homes, the pastors of our homes, meaning we're supposed to instruct, care for, guide, protect, and pray for our families. That's our responsibility as far as God's concerned. The ultimate spiritual example in our home, guess who it should be? Us. As the men of the house, God holds us responsible. Guess what? We need to be that shining example of who Christ is in our home. 
Verse 17, And the children of Israel did so and gathered some more and some less. And when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. So when these men followed the leading of the Lord, their families were perfectly fulfilled and provided for. Isn't that neat? Not too much, didn't get too much, didn't get too little. They had just exactly what they needed. As children of God, are we willing to seek our provision from God? Are we willing to shift our focus off of our physical desires and onto our spiritual needs? God's desire is to open the windows of heaven to his children. That's his desire. God wants to bless us. God wants to provide for us. God, look at how he works. In spite of the Israelites, he still provides for them. In spite of our lack of faithfulness, God provides for us. Think of if you are deserving of all the things God's given you in this life. None of us are. If you're saved, you do not deserve it. Not one of us does. If you have a, if you have a, a roof over your head, if you have food in your stomach, you don't deserve these things. They're not just expected, right? You exist to bring glory to God, and if you don't bring glory to God, why in the world should he bless you? Yet he does in spite of us. And he says, look, all I'm asking for you to do is give me a little back. The reason why tithing, tithing is something that's principle. The, the Bible talks about money, 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 again and again and again and again because God it shows, it says where the treasure is, there will your heart be also. God wants our hearts, right? And so a tithe, what he is, he's saying, look, I'm going to give you 100% of everything you've got, and all I ask in return is that you give me back 10%. You give me back 10%, and I'll let you keep 90. You, you don't deserve any of it, but I'm going to give you 90. How's that? And people go, well, I, but I like 100, man. I mean, I really like 100 a lot. Because it really does feed me really well, you know? Because I'm thinking about me. And it's the selfishness that we have to struggle with, every one of us, every single day. And an enemy that feeds upon that same selfishness, we've got to get our hearts focused upon him. As I said, God's desire is to open the windows of heaven to his people. The question is, are we at a place in our lives that we are ready to receive it? Each of us is at a different place. Each one of us at a different stage of our growth. If you've just been saved, hey, man, this is a lot to take in. Hey, just start reading your Bible. Do a little bit of praying. Focus. Try, try to do right. But you've been saved for a while. Guess what? Some of us have been on the milk for a very long time. The milk means that you come to church and I feed you with the bottle. And then you leave. And you're out. All right? <laughs> and the next time you eat is next Sunday. And you come in here and I shake up the bottle. Right? The meat means you sit down with a, food, with a fork and a knife, and you crack this bad boy open, and you start feasting yourself. Amen. Right? And there are people that have been saved 30, 40 years, and guess what? They still bottle fed. The goal is that you learn this word. Oh, I, I got one more line to say before I close it up there. <laughs> the, the goal is that you get to the point in time where that becomes your nourishment, and you know where to go to, re to eat. And you know what's so beautiful about it is God will work with you and help you through every step of it. The Holy Spirit works as a guide, and it's amazing. You can sit and read, and God will make something stand out to you. For I mean, you could have read it 100 times, and all of a sudden, the 101st time, it'll all of a sudden go, <gasps> because you've now developed an point in time in your life where you're getting off of the milk, and you're starting to get the meat, and all of a sudden, you'll start being nourished of things that you never saw before, and it'll, it'll, it'll strengthen you, and it'll inspire you to want to learn a little bit more, and it makes you hungry. It's amazing. I'm telling you, studying the Word of God is one of the greatest, most amazing gifts God's given us, and so many of us do not do it. How do we receive it? Because it takes a humble heart and a hunger for God to truly receive manna from heaven. We've got to be hungry for it. We have to have a desire for it, and we've got to put in the time and in the energy. I don't expect you to be a Bible scholar, but you know what? 
you should have an understanding of the Word of God, not because someone's walked you through it, which we will when you first get saved. But after a while, you've got to start walking on your own and feeding yourself. And what's beautiful is the fact that there's nothing in this Bible that's a waste. Every Word of God, every bit of it, none of it returns void. It all makes an impact on us. And it can change us and make us more like Him, which is the ultimate desire. Because guess what? One day when you stand before Him, you want to hear this one more. He says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Remember, faithfulness is up to God. Now, faithfulness is up to us. The fruitfulness of this life, that's up to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for blessing us, giving us this opportunity to hear from your word. Thank you for the beautiful example in the manna, a picture of Christ, a picture of the word. Thank you, Lord, for the, the aspect of, of the hunger, Lord, and that desire that we must have, uh, Father, to know you. And Lord, I may be summoned here today and say, you know what? I didn't get anything out of today. You know what? The Bible says that the natural man can't understand the word of God. What that means is that if we're not saved, and if we're in this room and we don't know Jesus, and we don't know him as our personal Savior. We may know him in our mind. We may have an understanding of him. We might even believe in him. But if we've never personally called out to him, we've never received him as our Savior, then we're not his child. We're all God's creation. That's a fact. But we're not all God's children. Our child, that becoming a child of God becomes we become joint heirs with Christ. And that is through salvation and salvation alone. And that's what happened to me almost 18 years ago. Someone asked me if I were to die. This is my last day on earth. If I knew for sure, I'd go to heaven. And I honestly did not know. And I searched my heart, and I was afraid. And if you're here today, if you're in the overflow room, if you're online, wherever you are, and you say, you know what? Today, right now, if I were to take my last breath, if this is my last day, I would not be confident. I would not be able to say, I know for sure I'm going to be with the Lord. I know for sure. I don't have a doubt in my heart. I know I'm saved. Praise God if you are that person that can say that. But you know what? When I was asked that question, I said, I don't know. And he offered me an opportunity. He said, you know what, David? It's not a ceremony. It's not a magic prayer. Nothing like that. It's a matter of the heart. The Bible says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That if I prayed out to God from my heart, and I truly meant it, that God would hear my prayer and my cry and he would not only hear my prayer, but he would answer my prayer. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He would receive my prayer, and he would answer my prayer in paying the price for my sin. And what should have taken me to hell will be put onto him on the cross. And when God looks at me, he'll no longer see the sinner that was there before. He'll see the righteousness of his son. If you've received Christ as your Savior and you know for sure you're saved, praise God. But if you're here today and you say, you know what? I've never done that. I've been in church my whole life, but I've never personally called out to God myself and received that gift. But I want to do that today. No matter where you are, this is not a matter of being in this church. It's not a matter of me being here. This is between you and God. Now I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. And this is going to be in your heart and your mind. It's between you and him. Nothing to do with the rest of us. But if you're here today and you say, I want to receive that gift. I want to know for sure that I'm a child of God. I'm going to lead you in prayer. It's not the words of the prayer that will do anything for you. It's the intention of your heart. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, in your heart and mind, repeat after me. Speak to God directly. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I've done plenty of things wrong in this life. And I'm sorry. I'm asking you right now to forgive me. 
I believe that you are who you say that you are, that you died on the cross, that you were buried in a borrowed tomb, and that three days later, you resurrected and proved you were God. I'm asking you right now, by faith, to come into my heart, to save my soul, and to give me a home in heaven. Lord, I want to live for you and not for me. Walk with me now. Help me as I enter the wilderness of this world that I might keep my heart focused upon heaven, on the promised land. And God, I love you. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.